You are now listening to Films for the Void. Hello and welcome to Films for the Void, bonus episode number seven. I am your host, Landon DeFever, and joining me today is the founder of Third String Entertainment, a Dallas-based music promotion company that takes marketing services, musician management, and an independent record label and puts them all under one roof. Their latest venture is this year's iteration of the So What Music Festival, which makes its triumphant debut at Choctaw Stadium in Arlington, Texas this Memorial Day weekend. The festival features headlining performances from I Prevail, The Ghost Inside, Under Oath, 100 Gex, Sum 41, Black Bear, Trippy Red, Race Remmerd, and Two Chains, along with over 250 other acts. You can purchase tickets now at SoWhatMusicFestival.com. Please welcome to the void Mike Zemer. Mike, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Hell of an intro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, as someone that has wanted to attend So What since I was in high school and seeing the ads every year in like alternative press and stuff, it and finally being able to come to the festival this year, I'm psyched to chat with you a little bit about it in depth um, this year. So thank you. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, we've had a lot of media people and um, sponsors and just like people that have had that same exact thing. They're like, yeah, I was, I was younger. I never got to go and like, now it's it's a cool opportunity so it's pretty it's pretty exciting like we had we were talking to like hot topic who's the other one liquid death and like both of them have pretty brand new reps on board that are just like super stoked because they've always wanted to go to our festival and I was like not expecting that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Cause like when, uh, like growing up in like high school and even early college, it was just something that was like out of my grasp and like unaffordable for me to fly to Texas, like on like a college student's budget sort of thing. So, but now that I'm like grown up, have a big boy job sort of thing, and I can afford to fly to like crazy places just, to, <laughs> just that in the sake of live music, it's a pretty cool thing to be able to finally do. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. Stoked for you. So between So What and a little bit of movie discussion, which we'll get into a little later, uh, we've got a lot of ground to cover, so let's get right into it. Um, Let's start with your background, Mike. Um, Where did you originally grow up? Have you always been like a Dallas native? Um, No, I grew up in Orange County, California. Lived in Huntington Beach until I was about 16, and then I moved to Plano, Texas right after that. Went to college for like a year and a half, dropped out and have been doing this ever since. <laughs> yeah, very cool. And uh, so when did you officially start getting really into attending shows regularly? So when I moved to Texas, um, the people that I was friends with were in bands and it kind of came with the territory of like moving here from Southern California. I had like a certain look that definitely was not normal here. Um, I had like <laughs> spiky hair and I looked like a surfer kid and like I surfed, I skated and I listened to like you know, K-Rock in LA. And so it was like very different than like moving to a a well-to-do suburb of Dallas where everybody shops at Abercrombie and American Eagle. And so everybody that looked like me and like listened to the kind of music I did was like in bands. I I started hanging out with kids that were in bands and my parents were like super big on, even though we have money, we want you to learn how to make your own money. And so I was saving all of my money Uh, to buy a car when I was in high school. And so I found different blogs that would let me attend shows and I would get guest listed to interview bands and like go to the shows and everything. And that way I didn't have to spend money on tickets and I could always convince someone to give me a ride if they were getting a free ticket with me. So 
probably when I was about, I think I was like 16, 17, where I like really started like going to shows all the time to the point where like the owners of the venues didn't even check to see if I was on the media list. They were just like, welcome me in because they knew I was always talking about their <laughs> venues. But yeah, like pretty much from almost the first day that I moved to Texas, it was like music kind of became my life because all the people that I was around were in bands and going to shows and asking me for advice because they thought I knew everything because I was interviewing bands and I really didn't know anything. But yeah, it was uh, it was cool. I, I feel like I missed out on a lot of the, the stuff that people complain about with high school. Like I found a way to leave school early because I had an internship. So I basically just spent high school going to shows and like trying to be at school as little as possible. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> no, it's it sounds like you and I kind of had very similar like um, backgrounds as far as music goes. Like that was my initial incentive for wanting to go to as many shows as I did, like especially like in that college range sort of thing, like finding rides wherever I could and just writing for like various blogs like Mind Equals Blown and, and Substream Magazine and stuff like that. So I totally get that sort of drive and incentive to be able to do as many shows as you do. Um, do you remember the first show you ever went to, um, whether it was in or out of the scene? I'm just kind of curious, like what the, your first experience was with live music. My parents were always into music and they took me to like, the first thing I remember is a balloon festival that uh, the Beach Boys were playing or what <laughs> was still considered the Beach Boys at that time. Because definitely, yeah. I'm not that old that it was the original Beach Boys. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I went to that and like, I'd always, I had tapes and CDs and like, I listened to all these old music mixed with like whatever was on K-Rock. I kind of like mixed it all in and then sometimes like hip hop as well. But the first show that like I chose to go to on my own was before I left California, some of my friends threw me in a car and drove me to another suburb, Irvine, where there was this like really big, cool mega church that like always hosted concerts for free. We went to that and it was thrice dogwood and off the record. And that was the first time I ever saw thrice and they were still a punk band. Uh, they were playing like the identity crisis music and all that. And um one of my friends talked me into like going in the pit and like that was it for me. Like I was pushing people, I was jumping around, I crowd surfed and I was like, I want to do this every day. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. I also love that um, Beach Boys was your first show. I swear to God, I ask people this all the time, like just going to shows and stuff like about their like the first experience with live music they ever had. It's always Beach Boys or BB King. I don't know what it is about those two artists in particular, <laughs> but I hear those two constantly as like the first bands that everyone starts to see. That wasn't mine in particular, but like it's just funny. Like I always hear people like that was their first big like arena show that they ever went to or something like that. It's so funny. <laughs> like a lot of people have said that like you know like in bands justin bieber britney spears or like something like that was their their first concert and like it's it's cool because the beach boys was what i used to always listen to on like road trips with my family and stuff like that so like seeing those songs live like i didn't know who was who i didn't care like it was just cool to hear the songs <laughs> yeah exactly it's not really from an image perspective it's really like comes from a sort of connection to the music that's really cool yeah yeah now just from everything i've read on your site about like the history of third string in general is is so fascinating and how you've been able to combine so many facets of your industry into one business when did you make the decision to go from for such a multifaceted approach to your business I mean, everything happened organically. So I was writing for blogs and local artists thought that I could be an artist manager because 
I knew people at record labels. And so I helped them send out music and hit up record labels. And basically I was like a, a super punisher at that time of like, oh, come on, check out my band. And they're like, no, but you should just review our artists. Um, <laughs> and like <laughs> the biggest thing that these, these artists needed was all ages shows because Dallas just didn't really have that. Like you'd go to this place called Across the Street Bar, which is across from SMU. And you could play there during the day. And like everyone had to clear out by like eight or nine o'clock. You didn't really get paid because not a single person was drinking. So that was like the only option. And I had remembered going to like a few churches in the area and community centers. And one of my friends actually was in a band that like helped put together a show at this place called the Plano Center. And when I was starting to manage bands, I kind of like put them all together on a show, borrowed 500 bucks from one of the people's uh, people in the band's moms. Cause like I said earlier, like my parents always wanted me to like work for things. So I wasn't going to like turn around and ask my parents for 500 bucks. Um, <laughs> and it also kind of worked because I was like, Hey, if this thing works out, like this is going to be good for your son's band. So like, let's kind of roll with it. And so I did that. And then at the end of the night, like I paid out each band, like what their cut was. And then like I had money in my hand and I was like, Oh, I, I made money on this. So I went from being a manager to a promoter and then from being a promoter like I found bands that I really liked and as I was managing them I'd be like hey you need a trailer for touring or you need merch or this or that and they got to the point where they're like well we want that we don't have money and so I was like okay I'm a label now so I'm gonna give you $2,500 <laughs> to get this merch put out your music whatever and if it ever makes money back you guys owe me money and um, this crazy thing happened when I was going to UNT I was 20 years old. I was putting on my own shows, but I was also part of a local concert promotion thing called Buzz Oven that like put local artists in the spotlight. It was like a partnership with Coca-Cola. They launched the Rocket Summer Bowling for Soup and like a bunch of bands from Dallas by giving out like 10,000 free CDs, having free concerts, like just all this really cool stuff. And so Business Week came to Dallas to do a story about Buzz Oven. And the woman who was doing the interview found myself to be the story in there. Like I was one of the street team leaders or whatever, but like she found out that I had kind of built my own thing and that I had like this power through MySpace and the internet to really like influence people on what concerts to go to, what bands to listen to, what record labels to support, like how I got sponsors, things like that. And so she wrote this article that became a cover story called the MySpace Generation. And that article, single-handedly changed my life because all of a sudden I was talking to older businessmen at marketing and business conventions about social media and I was getting hired by brands to help out with marketing and so like at that point it was like okay I also am a marketing agency like I'm not <laughs> going to turn down all this money that I'm getting like because record label you're not making any money management you're not really making any money shows you can make money you can lose money but with marketing, it was like, oh, I'm doing this job. I'm being compensated. I don't have to worry about attendance or, you know, like if the band blows up or anything, like it was very steady, consistent money. And I got to work with like really fun brands. Like I got hired to work with Jose Cuervo, Maxim Magazine, um, On the Border, like stuff that was fun. Uh, we did like random um, listening parties for like Tiny Tempa, Jeff Bridges, like when they would release albums through a headphone company and like all this, all this really fun stuff. So it didn't really feel like I was, you know, 
a marketing agency and having to like wear a suit and go in and talk about like ROI and like all these things. It was just kind of like event driven, social media driven marketing. And we just kind of like gone with it since then. Like we've had phases where the label is not really a priority or there's no bands that we are excited about. And there's times where I'm not really managing anybody. And um, there's been times where we've just taken a break from doing the marketing because it gets kind of stale sometimes. That's really cool that you've been able to like take so many aspects of the like and it, not only that, but like brand yourself and individually label like like the very specific aspects of what you do as a business and take them all under one roof. I, I just find that really interesting and um, really exciting, too. So, yeah, <laughs> congrats to being able to like not only that, but find a lane that like works for you and like is that you're able to find a lot of success in, too. It's kind of just that like forever desire to not have a boss like the mentality that I had in my 20s of like, how long can I go without getting a quote unquote real job became a real career and something that has, you know, I've been doing half my life now. I started when I was 18 officially doing shows and now I'm 36. So it's kind of gone from a mentality of how long can I go without having a boss to like, how can I be a good boss? How can I make people want to work for me? And like, how can I keep building this? And like, how can I oversee this part and this part and this part to where everything works together? And it's like, people come to work excited and, and like what they do and want to have fun and like, have that mentality of like, they don't really have a boss and they don't really have a, you know, suit type job or whatever. Like, it's still fun. Um, I've tried to like, make sure that people that, you know, work for, for me and my company are like, in that same mentality of like really enjoying what they're doing and also, you know, obviously making money doing it. No, that's such a cool, fulfilling feeling. That's awesome. And uh, so let's get into the festival itself a little bit. Yeah, you're um, coming down to the wire here. Uh, seven stages, over 250 acts across three days. Um, it's a very ambitious lineup and I think a great indicator of where the future of these three genres is heading. For people that aren't aware of the festival, like there are three different, uh, very three specific concentrations, uh, blue pop punk, orange metal, and green hip hop. Um, so kind of taking a look at that, um, how did the process of getting a lineup of this magnitude come together for your team? <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Honestly, I don't know. Um, <laughs> we've, we've like always kind of been like the warp tour festival you know like pop punk metal hardcore um and we've like mixed in hip-hop here and there but like 2020 and and almost all of 2021 or half of 2021 off as well like obviously not by choice but i think it fueled a lot of creativity with artists and a lot of genre barriers began getting broken down even more than before and just kind of looking at what I was listening to what was happening in like the culture of music, what everyone else was listening to when Spotify Wrapped came out. It just kind of made sense that like, I'm not the only kid out there that like would go to Warp Tour and Rolling Loud. Like I'm not the only person that gets excited about the fact that, you know, Two Chains and Under Oath are on the same festival. It, it goes <laughs> together for a lot more people than you think. Like there's people that are going to be mad about our set time overlaps like yesterday we announced juicy j replacing taiga on the festival and a ton of like hardcore kids from our local scene were like that's the big, the best artist on your festival and i was just like kind of blown away by that like interesting that it reaches that but we kind of like built the lineup originally by kind of tiptoeing into the idea of doing it and then the floodgates kind of just opened because 
all the collaborations that have been happening and all of the music that's been released and just like the mentality that like hip hop artists are the new rock stars and like rock stars want to work with hip hop artists on their tracks and just like so much of the crossover that was happening. It just kind of, I think it was exciting to a lot of people that the festival was not only coming back, but that we were headed in that direction um, from an artist perspective, because there's a lot of rappers that grew up like on a warp tour type, you know, like musical taste. And there's a lot of, them. I mean, that's, that's why like everybody's excited to be working with Travis Barker right now, because like everybody grew up on Blink-182, no matter what your favorite genre of music was, like you grew up on Blink-182. And so we just kept seeing like, it went from like, oh yeah, Waka Flocka did warp tour. Let's get him. And uh, originally when we booked Tyga, it was like Tyga used to tour with Gym Class Heroes. We should get Travi. And like, we got Travi. And then it was like, hey, would you be interested in two chains? And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, obviously. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, <laughs> and it was just like, I guess things, things just became more obtainable than we thought. Like you look at these people that are larger than life and you just kind of think like, there's no way in hell that that person would think that this is a cool idea or want to do this. And like, obviously some of these artists are still like, they have that cool mentality of we're not going to post this flyer on our grid or on our Facebook or whatever. Like it'll be on my website. If people find it, they find it kind of thing. But the fact that like the artists approved it and were like into the idea is like something I didn't think would happen. Like even Ray Strummer, like they've been like super supportive on like Twitter and other areas of like, promoting it and like they've they've like shared people being hyped about it and i think the energy it like shows that they put on is like exactly the same as like the pop punk crowd the metal crowd like all of that like i ripped my pants wide open at camp flognaw when i was in the pit for ray strummer because <laughs> it like got crazy oh, and i was wow. like this is awesome like i didn't know that like at that point i mean this was like six years ago i didn't realize that like the hip-hop audience was like doing mosh pits and crowd surfing and like had gotten to that level of like audience crossover and it was really cool and so for us it was just like what kind of lineup can we put together that's like all hype like regardless of genre what's what's like legacy acts what's up and coming what's you know mid-level on the rise like what can we combine of all this all this different kind of music that like really flows and it's kind of crazy because like more and more collaborations have been happening since we started booking this like a year ago like Jaden just took out Josiah, which was like super cool. And like Josiah's on our festival. Unfortunately, Jaden's not, but it's just like seeing, seeing that like, we're not the only people that have this idea and mentality that this is the direction music's heading was like super reassuring. And so we just decided to go with it. And like, it's the response has been wild. Like we've gotten press that we never thought we would get. Like, it's weird to have a festival that can be in like Essence Magazine, which is a primarily African-American culture magazine and then also alternative press. And then you also have your local KISS FM station asking if they can give away tickets. Like it's just a very like diverse, but like somehow all flows together thing that was put together. And like, obviously you have your like old metal heads that are like, oh, I don't want any hip hop on that. And like, just <laughs> like weird, weird comments that you get from guy with, 12 numbers in his name that has posted five times on Twitter. Like um, <laughs> that clearly just but, made a burner account to like, just shit on your, on your festivals. Yeah. It's like, it's like one of the bands that's mad. They're probably playing at the same time as two chains. So they made a burner account <laughs> to tell us that we shouldn't have rap on our festival. But yeah, I mean, it, it just kind of like kept 
coming together and we're like, let's add another stage and another stage. Just like, <laughs> I don't know, chaos. We'll, we'll see how logistically it all works out and like how, how much of the same we want to do next year and how we want to tweak it. But I'm excited for it. Like, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to catch even a fraction of all the artists I want to see since I'm obviously working the event. Um, but it's, it's like my own dream festival. So I'm very excited for it. Yeah, absolutely. It must be exciting to um, be booking a festival where you could literally go to any stage and see an act that you like really, really feel passionate about too. I feel like that's such a, like a cool feeling that you, that you must possess at all times. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's so cool. I want to touch on something you said too, because I feel like festivals like so what are that are so multi-genre like this are so important too in the sense that i feel like so many promoters assume that fans of that of people that go to live music only like to operate under one type of music each day when no one is like that that i know like everyone i like everyone doesn't love every genre of music but to be able to offer a lot of diversity in what they're seeing is a really valuable thing because i think people have the ability to walk away at the end of each day with a new favorite band and a genre that they didn't even think to listen to. Like in preparation, when I finally like pulled the trigger and said, I'm going to this festival, I'm making this a priority this spring. I listened to every single band on the artist, at least one or two songs just to make sure I wasn't missing out on anything. And based on that, like I've found like so many different artists, like Lorna Shore and Angel Maker specifically are um, from like that very heavy, like deathcore sort of audience, like a genre I didn't really even listen to until I decided I was going to be attending the festival. And there's a lot of hip hop too, like Zach Fox and Father and Harper that I listened to for the first time because of this festival. So multiply that by how many thousands of people attend the festival. I think there's a really important thing that is happening underneath the surface that I think is really cool to see blossom. <laughs> yeah. And it's so wild for us. Like we hit shuffle on our official playlist and like, it's the same thing. Like we haven't heard some of these songs and we're like, we're familiar with the artists. And like the other day I was like, man, this song is so cool. Like I want to, this is like my new gym playlist. And it was like Gideon. And I was like, Oh wow. I didn't know this was a Gideon song. Like I hadn't listened to Gideon <laughs> in a while. And like, then, then like, I mean, Harper was another one that popped up that I was just like, Oh, this is really sick. Like there's just so much on there. And I think that's kind of what we've been like trying to drill into everybody's brains. It's like hit shuffle and like be surprised. Like, if you're trying to be that like closed-minded music fan, it's like I'm gonna be at the metal stage from sun up to sundown, and then I'm oh gonna God. go to the metal after party. It's like hit shuffle, and you're gonna be surprised. Like there's so much influence in heavy music that comes from hip hop, and vice versa, and and even like pop music that comes from hip hop and pop punk that comes from hardcore. Like there's so much that you're gonna recognize and feel familiar with from artists that you've never heard if you just like give it a chance. Absolutely. And yeah, I, I think that's a really undervalued um, aspect of so many festivals that it's, it's cool to see you bringing that alive. And another thing, too, I wanted to ask you about um, something exciting about this lineup is the number of like one off reunions that you were able to make happen. Uh, bands like The Higher, Close Your Eyes, Texas in July, um, getting back together for this festival. How did those conversations get started? Um, we got approached about a Skylit Drive. Um, oh, yeah, them too. Jeez. I, reached, <laughs> I reached out to Close Your Eyes. Um, unfortunately they just canceled because okay. Shane's baby is due on the day they were playing. Mm -hmm. So they're going to make it up to us, but it's crazy because now they're on a bunch of other festivals. Like they got, they're like, Oh, let's do more of these. And, um, I mean the higher, like I've been, I've been asking Seth on like Facebook messenger forever. I'm like, if you ever want to do a show, let me know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, he actually, I ran into him in Las Vegas because he, was like a lounge singer at Planet Hollywood. They have 
like super talented people that um, perform in the extra lounge and they just cover popular songs as like a live band with their own like twist to it. And it's very popular. Like there's lots of people that are over there watching when they perform and I recognized the voice and I looked over there and I was like, no way. And like, it was, it was him. And like, that was kind of when like I followed him or I added him on Facebook and like started communicating about them. So it was like, if you ever want to do anything, just let me know. And that's, I mean, it's kind of like the same, like Texas in July announced that they were going to do a show and then they reached out to us and they're like, do you want to do this? Like, can we make this more? And I mean, the ghost inside is not really a reunion, but it's super rare. Like they don't really do much. And I, I also thought it was really cool when under Oath announced that they were on the lineup. One of the guys in the band shared how, when they got back together, we were like the first promoters to believe in them and book them as a headliner and like really jump behind them and like give them the reassurance that like reuniting was a good thing. And just, they made some comments about like how the festival's grown and like this kind of lineup and how excited they are to be a part of a lineup where everything's mixed together. Cause you know, like how many collaborations those guys do, like Aaron and Spencer are all over EDM tracks. Aaron's always in the studio writing with other people. Oh, Andra yeah. directly has done different collabs. So like they get it. Um, and so it was really cool. Like, cause for me, like that was one of those bands that like, I grew up on them, but they're not like too far away from me and like age and everything. So now we're kind of like friends and it's, <laughs> it's just like this whole like weird dynamic of like, you still get like giddy when you see somebody like that say such positive things about the festival and everything. Now, looking at this lineup, if you had to pick a couple of artists that you kind of have seeing the most potential to break out and being a headliner status band in or artist in a couple of years time, who do you think that would be if you had to put your money on it? Palais Royale is going to get huge. I know they're billed pretty high on our lineup, but I think they could be a headliner. I would love to see Grandson become the biggest artist in the world. Yeah. Uh, he just, he, he gives a shit and like, he's so energetic and, and just everything. Um, I think that Ken Carson, who is a hip hop artist, is going to follow in the footsteps of like Playboy Cardi and Lil Yachty and just the amount of hype we've seen around him specifically. Um, I think he's going to do really, really well. I I think Charlotte Sands could be like the next Halsey. Like I think she could be just massive. She's having a, a big moment right now. That song that she has with Adam Lazara and the main uh, gets played on the radio station here like every hour. We actually got more radio ads and ticket giveaways because those artists are on our festival from the yeah. alternative station because they just like love the main and they love Charlotte and um, she's a great team behind her and she's just so talented and so sweet. Like there's things that like really resonate with you with an artist. Like obviously like you become friends with so many artists that you book just because like you hit it off immediately. And like, it's, it's really like cool to see them come back and grow and all that. But like we booked her for unsilent night. And when we booked her, she had like maybe a hundred thousand listeners, if that, and like now it's over 2 million and she showed up to the festival and like texted me and she was like, Hey, I'm going to go grab coffee. Do you want anything? And I was like, what? Like an artist, <laughs> an artist is asking me and like, she brought me coffee and like uh -huh. we were sit sitting and like talking and stuff. And I was just like, that's so cool. Like she was just so excited to be there. And like now she's like even higher up. She's on our main pop alternative stage at 
So what this year? And like, I think her set's going to be crazy. No, I'm glad you mentioned Charlotte specifically. No, because I, um, yeah, the main is my, is in my top five favorite bands. And they're a big reason that I wanted to like attend So What to see them play like a huge festival like this. And yeah, I uh, traveled to, I live in Michigan and traveled to Chicago and Milwaukee for um, the main set. And uh, yeah, Charlotte blew me away both days. I was just so impressed with her stage presence and just has an incredible voice and just seems like a lovely person. And yeah, I'm very excited to see her set specifically. <laughs> yeah. And she's so cool. Like she just like goes the extra mile for her fans, like on this tour that she's been doing, like the first five people to come to the merch booth were getting like letters that were handwritten from her because like COVID still kind of in a weird place. So it's hard for artists to really connect with their fans. And obviously she's like on the way up and like, doesn't want to lose out on that. So she would leave something at the merch booth for like the first five fans. And like, I'd see stuff that she would share that like fans left her. And it's like, it's a real thing. Like there's a bunch of people connecting with her music, connecting with her. And like the crowds are getting bigger every night. And that's always exciting to see. Now kind of looking at the logistics of putting so what together like this, as well as Furnace Fest in Alabama, we haven't even talked about Furnace Fest at all. <laughs> um, but how long does the process itself take for putting together a lineup like this? Like, are you working quite literally all year long? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we confirmed the venue for this last June. We had already been discussing band and artist ideas in like March. It's just like we we had artists that turned us down for whatever reason for 2022 that like already have offers for 2023 and are like considering uh, confirming like possibly before doors even open for 2022. So um, it just kind of never ends. Like it's it's beautiful chaos because obviously it's so exciting to like be back in it after like what felt like the longest year of my life but it's also weird because 2020 and like the beginning of 2021 went by so slow just because it was like every day waking up like making the most of it but not knowing when you're going to get back to like your normal life then everything just started flying like when shows came back and everything like that it was like all right it, it literally feels like we confirmed and announced our lineup yesterday and it's like almost here. It's kind of crazy, but like, it just, that's kind of how it always is. Like you start planning the next one. Like I just had to be in Alabama the last two days for Furnace Fest meetings. And then we're working on booking our Unsilent Night Festival, which is in December. And um, we already feel like maybe we're a little behind on that because it's May. And I mean, we don't really announce that one until the fall anyway, but it's just kind of like artists have already been making their tour plans so we need to really figure out like what we're going to do and it just kind of like your life becomes periods of time leading up to a certain event and then the next one immediately like i used to tell people our festival ends on a sunday and by monday i'm in the office writing down ways to like improve our festival and start working on the next one because there's just no time to slow down or reason to because you're like constantly riding the high of festivals and like what you're putting together and like the people that you're bringing together and the experience that you're creating that you don't want to take days off from that because every day you take off takes more days to make up for it and those could be days that you're getting your next biggest sponsor or confirming a really cool activation or having a meeting with an agent to get an artist you never thought you were going to book like it just it's just a kind of a never-ending process i mean if we were going to take any time off, it would pretty much be like just kind of slowing down in the summer because club shows, like there's this weird thing that happens with having this many artists on a festival is that 
our club shows just kind of stop for a couple months because Mm -hmm. at least in Dallas, like there's a whole lot that's like routed to this festival in May, but because everyone's coming to Texas in May, like June, July, they're going to be really slow. And then, you know, probably even August and then around September, it's like, okay, tours are happening again. Like we're about to announce tours for artists that are on this festival. They'll be coming back in like September, October, November, December. Yeah, there's just there's not really like any any in between time where it's like not something we're discussing or that's on our mind. It's not like all right, uh, the festival ends on May 29th by you know August, we'll start thinking about it. Like that's just feels too late. Yeah, <laughs> just the like it just seems like an ever rotate like rotating door <laughs> of just like a thousand different things like trying to establish like three major events at all time. The fact that you're able to do that is wildly impressive. <laughs> I mean, I got I got teams of people for everything I do. It's the only way that I do anything. Like I have a marketing team, I have a label team, I have a management partner, I have partners with Furnace Fest. They're different from partners of So What. Like there's just a lot of good people involved in the process that should probably also be getting interviewed and talked about and and all that. (laughs) And now we kind of touched on both of these a little bit earlier, but just to, um, just to reiterate, I'm just curious. Now I know this year, like a parkway drive and Tyga two previous previously announced headliners, like had to drop unfortunately. But, um, I know like you kind of mentioned like when specifically when Tyga dropped that there were a lot of people that were really angry. Um, I don't know. I'd like just, maybe it's just from my perspective of how you handled everything, but like, it just seems like your hand, your team handled it really well. You had replacement, headliners ready to go and like from the reception i saw like fans seemed pretty content for the most part like at least from what i saw so how do you i guess my question is how do you pivot when something unexpected like that comes up exactly i mean you kind of see it coming honestly with parkway drive the fact that they're from australia and australia is still being strict about covid like maybe that was part of it we didn't see like when they made their announcement we didn't know that that was why we just were like, oh, it's probably COVID related. So we like kind of thought it was coming. We didn't realize it was like, hey, this band needs to like take a little bit of a break. We've been going for too long. It, it, that one was a scramble because we felt like we really needed to do a replacement and we needed to move the ghost inside and we needed to confirm under oath. It was a lot of work. Tygo was kind of easy because we had a heads up that there was another like a scheduling conflict that made a lot more sense or uh, was something that he couldn't really turn down. And it was more of a conversation of uh, would you be okay, like having him perform another year um, or on another one of your festivals, like, or do you want to like fight for him to stay on here? And honestly, it was just like, at that point, I mean, I don't know that any one artist on this festival is like the determining factor for someone to go oh sure and i feel like we've gotten enough hype and attention and it felt like the juicy j replacement was really really good um there were a lot of people who were not as happy about the parkway drive dropping um especially since it's like the third or fourth time that they've had to change their tour plans Mm -hmm. it was more just like people saying well okay can i switch my ticket from saturday to sunday because i want to see under oath or can i move my ticket from sunday because i want to see the ghost inside on saturday there was like one guy that was like really rude and wanted a refund. But other than that, it was like nothing. (laughs) Yeah. And that's good. And that's good to recognize too, because yeah, like there, like the, this festival is so like vast and diverse in a sense that like, 
I, I feel like, like, I don't know, maybe it's just me and my taste, but like, there's some, like, there really is something on every single stage each day that like has me wanting to go no matter what. Cause like, I, like, I feel like, especially specifically Friday, like, um, like I would like to watch, I prevail trippy red and a hundred gex. Like I could watch probably like 20 to 30 minutes of each and be perfectly content. Like it's that, it's that idea of like, I don't necessarily need to see full sets for it to feel like it counts or I didn't get an experience from it. So I get, I guess that's kind of like my Pro, that's how I rationalize it to myself. But yeah, like I really, I don't know. And like, I don't know, like Under Oath is a pretty great replacement for Parkway in general, honestly. Like, it, like you're getting legit one of the best bands in this genre, specifically live bands in this genre to like t to pick up that slack. So yeah, <laughs> for what it's worth. <laughs> yeah, and there, there's like some people that they didn't, they're like a little bit older and they didn't go to Warped Tour. They didn't care to go to Warped Tour. And so they're not used to like the excitement of like, I'm going to go over here and catch 15 minutes of this artist so that I can catch 15 minutes of this artist over here. And like the, the excitement of seeing like every artist that you like in one day, like regardless of the fact that you're seeing them for like 15, 20, 30 minutes versus like full headliner sets, like it's fun. And they play their like biggest songs. They're not like sitting there like, all right, we're going to build up this set where like the first 20 minutes is sleeper songs and then we get to our <laughs> hits. Like it's all hits. Like they know how the crowd is. And so you can tell the people that have been to festivals before and like understand that. And then the people that are like, why doesn't Sum 41 have a two hour set? And it's like, you won't want to watch Sum 41 for two hours at a festival when they're closing out after a full day of being in the sun. I promise. Yeah, like, absolutely. Let them play their yeah. hits and get, and get out of there and like go do your thing. Like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's not like we're not Lollapalooza or something where like the two main stages are a mile away. Like this is an easy footprint to navigate and like catch the majority of every set that you want to see. So hopefully people get that. And like, I mean, you touched on something a lot earlier in the conversation that I think is very important. And one of the reasons that we do festivals like this is that you can be quite literally walking by a stage, super stoked to go see someone and something catches your attention. You stop, you miss the artist that you thought you were going to see that you've maybe seen before because you find a new artist that you love. Like you just hear a voice or like a breakdown or a beat or like whatever it is. And like you stop and you look at the stage and like, that's your new favorite artist. And you didn't expect that to happen. And that doesn't happen when you've like planned out this strategic day of like, I'm going to go here. Then I'm going to go over here, wait against a barricade for four hours. Like it's all about walking around and like discovering artists. And that's what we've always tried to be. And like, if you look at our past lineups, people that were like small print would now be headliners and people that were in the middle could be headliners. People that were headliners are maybe not playing music anymore. Like it just, that's just kind of like <laughs> the cycle of everything. Well, Mike, now we've come to the film portion of the show. Uh, the way, and the way we do that is that every time we have a guest on our show, we like to face them with a series of round robin questions. So the listeners out there can get an idea of your history and taste with film. Uh, this is not meant to be answered as fast as possible necessarily, but uh, go with whatever comes to mind first. So with that being said, Mike, are you ready to enter the void? Let's go. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, name a movie you loved as a kid. As a kid, I would say Aladdin. That's a good one. No, I was going to say anything in that Disney renaissance, I feel like is such a common response. It's like a really common response on that show. I feel like they just completely dominated from like that entire 90 cycle. So yeah, that's a good one to start out with. Um, favorite movie from high school? Uh, high Fidelity. I don't think that it came out when I was in high school, but it was the one that I was like watching 
the whole time I was in high school. It's funny you say that. We just had uh, like the last interview we did, uh, like um, our guest Poppy from a band called Boyfrienders brought that movie up too. I feel like that is such a quintessential movie, especially for people that are like getting specifically into like the music scene in general, like as a good like stepping point for like um, that's very relatable and how those conversations can go. Um, yeah, so I totally yeah. agree with that too. Um, what is the funniest movie you've ever seen? Oh man. Uh... I would say the first thing that came to mind when you said that was the interview, just because the buildup to that movie was so controversial. And then it was just so like ridiculous on like every level. I'm sure there's funnier movies that I've seen, but like, I just, I didn't expect that movie to be what it was, uh, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, that's totally fair. I, I'm, I'm glad you pointed that out because I feel like a lot of people forget about that movie and just how huge of an impact that sort of like surrounding that whole thing ended up being. Because like, especially like when you look at it now, like the satire and it feels so tame in general, you know what I mean? Like it feels like it's doesn't it's not nearly as built up as it needed to be sort of thing it was it seems pretty harmless in the grand scheme of things but it's just so funny like the zeitgeist of that whole thing was so interesting yeah i think it was like like team america was one of those as well that was like it was supposed to be like very shocking but then when you like go back and watch it you're like okay that's not like that bad like crazier things have happened in real life now mm -hmm. um but like those both of those yeah especially with like anything trey parker matt stone specifically i feel like in the moment it feels like very fresh and new sort of thing like in the sense that the satire is very ruthless but you can like kind of come to grips with it pretty easily especially when you put a face to like what you're satirizing in general i always found that really interesting <laughs> how people like get so worked up about it uh what about the scariest movie you've ever seen oh i never like so i i lived with a couple friends in la one was like a film like guru and we would just put on all these like weird scary movies and like the ones that scared me the most like i can't remember the names of them but I think in a realistic sense, the scariest movie is The Purge because like, I'm just waiting for it to happen. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just, it's just like, it doesn't feel like we're that far off from something like that. Like at some point in the mid 2010s or whatever, like everything just kind of went to chaos and we just accepted it. Like mm -hmm. it, it didn't become like we as a society are going to call out these things that are terrifying. Like, not necessarily just to be political, but like a president making threats on Twitter, like these just became normal and we like laughed about it. And so it doesn't seem so far off that a lot of these things like you see in like Black Mirror and, and like the purge and stuff like that like could happen. So that's kind of scary in that sense. But yeah. um, I think just anything, anything like being possessed or like, uh, there's this one movie that, is like all these people that live in this like mountain range and it's just like there's stuff like if it's realistic enough like if i'm hiking one day and i am in another country and all of a sudden like i find this tribe of people that wants to kill me like that <laughs> that stuff is like realistic to me like i'm not really i don't really get scared at like horror films of like oh this guy is gonna break into my house and kill my family it's like that's been done so many times but there's just some like super creepy things that you're like that came out of someone's brain there's a human being that thought of that and like that's what i'm thinking the whole time like i'm not really 
scared of the movie, just the reality of what the movie could be, if that made sense. Oh, no, that totally makes sense. I totally get what you're saying. Um, kind of looking at The Purge a little bit, too, I kind of know what you mean, too. I think part of the reason that film wasn't as like like received as like strongly as it was like when it initially came out i think part of it had to do with the fact that it came out during the obama administration because i feel like people were so comfortable in the sense that like they feel like politically sort of neutral and at the point at that point where they feel like oh this could never happen fast forward like what yeah three or four years later and yeah like you said like where trump is like threatening <laughs> quite literally on twitter like to other countries and sort of things like that and yeah it's it, like it wasn't even it wasn't even like him necessarily it's like the divide that was created and did you ever watch um the following no i haven't i think it's on my watch list though there's a tv show and basically the main character is obsessed with edgar Allan poe and he convinces his followers to carry out things and he never does anything it's like very charles manson but to me that's kind of like what was created is like the worst in everybody like on both sides of the political spectrum like came out and so it became very believable that like people would want to just kill each other like and that was never something i ever thought of i was always like oh you have to be like super demented and like have all these problems with you to want to like actually murder someone but there was just like so much hatred that you were seeing on like every end of the spectrum like Mm -hmm. i don't think it's I don't think it's okay to go punch someone in the face or beat the shit out of someone regardless of what they believe. Like, it's just not like my place to be like, Oh, he's wearing that. I'm going to go beat him up. Like I've never really had that urge. I just am like, I'm not going to associate with that person. But like, there's just so much of that energy towards everything that like, I had a funny shirt of like the Calvin and Hobbes, like Calvin or yeah, Calvin where he like pees on everything. And it's like a logo. Well, I had one of like, this car, this cartoon Trump that's peeing on the United States. And I had to stop wearing it because people were so confused. They didn't know if it was pro-Trump or anti-Trump because they just didn't get the message. And it's like, no, he's pissing on the United States. Like, it's clearly like a, a, a funny, like, I don't like Trump type shirt. But there are people that would see it and think that I'm like a Trump supporter because like that might be something that you would be proud of. And yeah. I'm like, look, I'm not like way over here and I'm not way over here. I'm just like, somewhere in this middle of like why can't we just come to a common ground and get along but like getting back to the point of like purge <laughs> and stuff like that it, you you could literally like see the hate in people's eyes that you're like oh yeah that is like from that movie like that's <laughs> that kind of stuff is gonna happen like i don't know it's terrifying <laughs> still terrifying because who knows where we're going (laughs) yeah oh for sure and i'm glad you mentioned that too because i had a really similar um aspect uh, like something like that happened with me where um in warp tour 2016 uh, pre the election and trump winning um the main uh was on warp tour that summer and they were selling uh red like maga hat parodies that said make america emo again and i bought one and i quickly realized as we got closer and closer to the election cycle man i can't really wear this anywhere because people are going to look at it and see uh like a like a big tall white guy in a red hat with white lettering and they're gonna think i'm a trump supporter without reading it first and i feel like that is just like it it, that really speaks to that divide i think you're talking about where like you can't even really wear a hat with (laughs) where it's like complete like you can't even tell like it's a parody without even looking at it sort of thing yeah i was wearing just like a red bucky's hat the other day like i don't know if you know what bucky's is it's like this giant gas station down here but um yeah i I was wearing this 
this red Bucky's hat and someone someone was just like, oh, you can't believe you're wearing a red hat. I'm like, I'm not going to stop wearing red hats. Like, you're not taking that from me. <laughs> Red's like my favorite color. My shoes are red, black, and white. I'm like, no way. <laughs> I know. God. If I was going to say, if only he, if only Trump, like, popularized, like, red shoes as, like, the big thing, then you'd be fine. But oh yeah, why can't it have been something ugly? Like, look at all the other stuff that he wears. Like, just, just don't wear tight golf shirts. I don't know. Yeah, something, <laughs> something. Exactly. Like, can we not make it, like, associated with a color, for God's sake? Next question. Uh, favorite animated movie? You mentioned Aladdin earlier, but uh, if, if I wanted to ask if there's anything else that stood out at you. So I, uh, I grew up going to this, like, animated film festival in Huntington Beach and my parents introduced me to the Wallace and Gromit movies and so I think those will always be my favorite because I just thought they were so creative and like well done they always stood out like when they they started out as like these little shorts that were a part of the film festival and then obviously they became like longer and longer films and yeah I was just I was always kind of fascinated by that no, they're great. Um, yeah, specifically, I remember having a close shave and um, the one where they go to the moon, like on VHS, and we wore those out. Like, <laughs> so good. They're so good and like so creative and like just have such like a, like, I don't know, just a genuine spark of like excitement. And like, I don't know, I feel like claymation in general is like kind of a dying art. And it's so cool to see like that, yeah. them really stick with people still. <laughs> and it's another one of those things where it's like, if you can think, if you can watch something and think like somebody thought of all this, like, it's just <laughs> it's so weird like what drugs were you on like what inspired <laughs> you to be like this weird oh my god it's 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 really really cool i need to go back and watch those they have to be online somewhere i need to i think that's something to be the next thing i do when we we're done recording is watch <laughs> one of those a movie that you feel gets your profession right so in your case a movie that does a good job at portraying the music industry i think a more recent one is begin again I think it shows the loneliness that can happen in following your dream and like not wanting to give up on it. And then how quickly continuing to believe in yourself and your dream and the talent of other people can turn everything around. Like you can be in the worst spot. You can be like, I'm never going to work in music again. And you can stumble drunkenly into a bar and discover the next big artist. Like it's, it's, that's just, how music works and it's like a roller coaster of the ups and downs like i don't think that there's i don't know man it's so i watch so much tv and so many movies that i'm like constantly confusing things but i think <laughs> that would be it would be a, i just don't think there's like a whole lot of like get him to the greek is probably like another good one of just oh, like yeah. dealing with an, an artist like from a, from a chaos perspective Oh my god! Yeah, get him to the Greek, especially like just it's such a weird concept for a movie too, like an offshoot of like a like like not even like a sequel to Forgetting Sarah Marshall, which rocks. I love Forgetting Sarah Marshall, and Get Him to the Greek is not that far behind it, sort of thing. And like the fact that P Diddy does such a good job at like playing himself, I remember is like the big thing that stands out from that movie, like playing a fictional version of himself that is like so game to be able to like take on any sort of like any sort of like weird fascination that you would automatically assume with and associate with P Diddy and you put it into that movie. I find re I really find that interesting. That's another one that I haven't watched since it came out, but God, it, it's really, really funny. I also really liked we are your friends, but people that I know from like the EDM scene, like roasted me for thinking that's a good movie. Uh, <laughs> but maybe that's just because they're like in denial of how accurate it was for like, 
the DJ world. I don't know. <laughs> no, that's totally fine. I remember the only thing I remember about that movie when it came out was just it tanking at the box office, and that was the only thing I really remember. But I would like to try it at some point. <laughs> it does seem like an interesting concept. Not only that, but it seems like an interesting film to go so big and for broke, like getting a huge star like Zac Efron to be in it and have it still like not make that much money back. I've always found that movie really interesting, like as a case study. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think like the most realistic from like an artist perspective though is probably like eight mile because mm -hmm. it shows like there's a lot of artists that literally come from nothing and music is their life and it shows the the kind of like confusion of someone that knows they have all the talent and like no one's discovered it which is like another big problem in music because how many times do you talk about like how a band is underrated or an artist is underrated and like they just didn't get the right team or they signed the wrong deal or their manager screwed them over or they didn't get a manager. Like there's just so many factors that like have somebody go from like the character in the movie you never met to Eminem. Like there's so many things that would take you to get to that. Um, yeah. I don't know. But that, that, I, I like that one. I mean, there's so, there's so many good movies about the music industry. Yeah, no, you gave me four really good examples, so that's totally fine. Yeah, all four of those are yeah, yeah, totally great representations of, I think, what it means to, like, really be in the industry and move from, like, aspect to aspect in order to make it big sort of thing. Um, the uh, the movie you've watched the most? It's probably High Fidelity again. <laughs> okay, perfect. Okay, cool. That works for me. Um, also, that either that or Love Actually. Like, I'm a big... I'm a big like get in the spirit of winter and watch love actually type person. Like I grew up as like a hopeless romantic. So uh, mm -hmm. I, I, I don't have the same taste in movies and stuff. Now I pretty much just watch um, anything that has to do with like criminals, like money heist and things like that. <laughs> um, that fascinates me now or like law and order. But uh, yeah, I guess that was what I used to watch all the time. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally get that. Yeah, I, especially too, like I've talked with like many people about this. I really love the Christmas season more than I actually do love Christmas Day because like Christmas Day, I always associate with being like super chaotic and annoying and like having to run around and like and, like talk with cousins you haven't seen in a long time and things like and try to make conversation and also like eat a bunch of weird food and stuff. But like Christmas season, like it's a month long and you get to binge like like all these like great movies that you really love sort of thing and um like eat like sugar cookies like have an excuse to like just kind of veg out and do your thing and relax and uh, i don't know like and yeah so i totally understand that aspect of it of like having such rich associations with like cr comfort comfort movies around christmas time for so long like christmas and new year's for some reason was like either when i got in a relationship or when a relationship ended for like this crucial period of like high school to mid 20s for me like it was all december january so like i was either super focused and excited to be hanging out with family or i was excited about a new relationship or i was depressed because one just ended like whatever it was like it felt like there was a movie or tv show or just like something about the season that like was cool and like yeah like made made everything better or like even even if you're like i, I don't know this might be something miserable to other people but like for me even if I was like sad, I would literally just like go watch everyone be idiots at the mall. Like I wasn't a part of like the hustle and bustle of like, I have to get this and this and this. I would just like grab a coffee, walk around and just like kind of watch the mayhem of like kids getting told they can't have something or like <laughs> couples fighting in the, on the, on the like ice skating rink or just like all the, all the chaos that that's going on around Christmas, like is fun to me. Have you seen the movie Krampus by any chance? Um, horror movie 2015 
No. Okay. See, that's one thing that I like never got into was like the horror side of Christmas movies. Like I know there's a whole section. I just never have like I always like the the cheese ones. <laughs> sure. No, the reason I no the reason I bring it up is because the intro of that it's it's a very okay movie. Like I'd never watch it again. But the best part of that movie is quite literally the opening scene because it's this slow motion montage of like of like a, literally a Black Friday sale opening doors and like people are like beating the shit out of each other for like for dolls and miserable in line and it, like it's super smart and satirical in that right. It it like you describing your experiences of like just watching people be miserable at the mall sort of thing as sort of a comfort reminded me of that movie specifically and like I love that scene specifically. <laughs> oh, for some reason when I looked it up this reminded me The Ritual was the movie that I was talking about earlier where they go oh, like yes. okay. hiking and that, that one was like kind of freaky to me because like I really I saw it at a point in time where like I was going hiking a lot. I was like still going to California and like going hiking and obviously <laughs> California is not like the Scandinavian wilderness but um, yeah that was one that I was talking about earlier. Uh, lastly, Mike, uh, favorite movie of all time. I don't want to say high fidelity. Again. <laughs> I was, I was totally expecting that. Probably is. I would say SLC punk is up there. SLC punk. High fidelity. Oh, yeah. Um, and then for like the longest time, can't hardly wait. Like when I was in middle school and stuff was like one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. I always thought it was better than American pie for some reason. <laughs> no for sure no and um the two directors of uh oh gosh i forget their names of can't hardly wait went on to do josie and the pussycats which is one of my absolute favorite movies so, that's yeah, a good like, one some, like, that's that that's your truth about the music industry right there subliminal messaging <laughs> yeah and like all that subtle like angles like that's a movie i'm like desperately trying to do like at some point for like a main topic movie for our podcast because we do this every other week with my co-host eric and we just go back and forth picking movies and that's one i've like really wanted to pick for a long time despite us both having seen it already <laughs> Yeah. All right, cool. Well, and with that, Mike, uh, we've come to the end of our conversation. And everyone listening, thank you so much for joining us. You can find us wherever you stream podcasts. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at films underscore void. And you can follow me, Landon, on Twitter at I Got to Feverman. Mike, thank you so much for coming on the show again. Uh, before we wrap up, what would you like to add, promote, or plug? Um, I would just say if you're listening to this and you haven't got a ticket to the festival, come to the festival, discover your new favorite band, and become hooked on coming to the festival like (laughs) we have we have so many people that just like this is my fifth year my sixth year my tenth year like that have that just keep coming back like i know people that have met their husband their wife like their best friend like it's just it's a great experience overall and if you're hesitant to go like or you're on the fence or whatever like i would just encourage you to go it's a great time and i it's something that i look forward to like as a music fan and and somebody that's like you know grew up going to concerts and all that more so than like on the work side of it as well yeah absolutely no and yeah as someone that's going for the first time i'm very excited to attend and uh yeah yeah i hope all goes well with the fest and yeah i hope everything goes great (laughs) thank you thank you well thank you all so much for tuning in and we will see you in the next episode take care